Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Zane. And welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by mid-pack runners. For mid-pack runners. So, it's coming up to 2018. You're looking at what you're going to do for the year. You're lining up your races. It's time to get training. And that's what this episode's all about. Telling you what we do and how we get trained for our races. So, this is Runners on Trail, episode four. So welcome to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Pat Runners. For Pat Runners. And this episode, we're going to do training. Uh, it's going to come out in December. It's the time of year when people are starting to enter races and think about the new year and getting fit and stuff. And um, people have asked us what we do for training, especially in the winter. And so that's what the podcast is going to be about. We're not um, necessarily um, experts per se. We're not nutritionists. We're, we're not personal trainers. But... Maybe we've got, um, we've got a reasonable amount of experience having done races for a couple of years and we've generally run, um, through our adult lives to a reasonable degree. Yeah. So we're going to tell you what works for us. Uh, it might not work for you. And, uh, to get the caveat out of the way, we hold no liability if you follow what we say and it all goes horribly wrong and you break yourself into pieces. Caveat out of the way. I'm sure you won't. won't I'm sure. So training. The first thing, of course, is you're going to need to know what you're training for. So in our experience, most of the stuff we do revolves around an A race. Mm-hmm. And we should describe this as, as it's typical for people to talk about A, B and C races as terminology. A race being your main race that you're targeting. It might be one or two maybe in a year, um, maybe a few more, but, but effectively the ones you really want to maximise and be ready for. It's like sports men and women uh, targeting the Olympic Games as their A race over another race. You try and season. peak for your A race, yeah, don't yeah. you? Exactly. Uh, and B races are other ones where you want to do well. So um, in that context, if you've got someone going for the Olympics, it might be that the World Championships are actually become a bit of a B race and build up to that. And then you have your C races, which are races that you do now context it might be things like park runs and stuff like that so we typically have a couple of a races in the year um uh, uh, four or five b races and then there'll be just lots of little bits and pieces we might do at local level that's right and we'll explain why we do those different races and why we categorize them like that as we go through the episode and talk yeah. about training so having said that you've got your a race you now need a training plan now go onto the internet you will find loads and loads of training plans they're all different and they won't all suit all people. Clearly, they're not going to do that. Different plans suit different people. Now, we wouldn't say, go onto the internet, find a training plan and follow it religiously. Absolutely not. We would never say that. I never have. <laughs> no. But what a training plan will give you is a basis for the sort of mileage you need to be doing and the mileage in terms of the length of run you need to be achieving on your way to your goal of your A race. And so they'll say six weeks before your race, you need to be of, of run a race. Say you're doing a marathon, you need to run a 20 mile run, for example. And in that week, you need to have done 40 miles. So that's what they're good for. And I, I personally would advocate finding a training plan that you think will fit around your life. Mm-hmm. Don't bother trying to follow a training plan when, that when you look at it, realistically, you realize there is no way I'm ever going to be able to follow that because it will be demotivational for you as you try and follow it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, my life, I guess, is the same. Like lots of people's these days, it's very difficult to be able to fit in very specific runs on specific days. And, and people can beat themselves up about trying to do this specifically on this day. And then maybe you're going out one evening and you can't then achieve the plan. So 
I very much take the sentiment of what the training plan is and think, right, in this week I need to be doing uh, three, four runs. I need to be of this kind of length. And as long as I've kind of fitted them in and it, it, map, it fits in tune with my body and how I'm feeling, then that's fine. Yeah, I think exactly that. And in the same way, if you don't do your run one day, don't think you've got to do that run the next day. Because the whole training plan, with trying to catch up on a training plan, probably means that in a certain period you'll overtrain. Yeah. And that's never good for you. So first of all, find a training plan online for the type of race you're doing that you think you can fit your life around and use it as a basis mm-hmm. for your training. I think that's the most important bit. And I think we're also, when we're talking training plans, it depends on the kind of race as well you're doing a lot of training plans you'll find in magazines assume that you're doing some kind of flat road race um it's all their training plans around doing your doing a really good half marathon or a marathon um type race and being a trail and ultra running podcast typical races we're doing are normally on trails um, and therefore there are other elements that probably need to be factored in that won't appear in magazine training plans yes definitely And we'll talk about some of those in a minute. Now, the one bit where I think that training plans online don't get it right is in the maximum length of race they do. Now, this will depend on why you're doing your A race. And I think there's two different ways for doing it. It might be that you want to do, and let's use the the London Marathon because it's an iconic race that lots of people want to do. Mm -hmm. I know it's not a trail race, but I think it's a good example. You want to do the London Marathon and you want to do the London Marathon as well as you can. Now, if that's the case... Most training plans that lead up to a marathon won't have you running a marathon distance. Now, why is that? Well, I think that's because for a lot of people, it's running the marathon on the day. It's that whole experience they want. The first time they want to run the marathon is when they do the event. Yeah. And that's fine. And if that is the case for you, great. I still think most training plans don't have people running quite far enough. If you, if the biggest run you've done before a marathon is 22 miles, I can tell you now, that last four miles when you've run that marathon as best you can will seem really, really tough. And I'd try and run longer than that. But if what you're trying to do is do the best you can on that day in that event, yeah. my personal view is you need to have run the distance. Why is that? One, I think you need the miles in your legs. You need to have those mm-hmm. miles in your legs to do the best that you can. But secondly, one of the things you'll find if you go online and watch a lot of YouTube videos of people doing races is that anxiety can play a huge huge part in how well you do in a race, especially in a long ultrasound race where stomach issues, gastric issues that we've talked about before can play a big part. Mm -hmm. And so my view is if you want to do the best you can in your race and it's 30 miles, make sure you've done two, three, four, five 30 mile training runs, not at race pace, but to get the miles in your legs so that when you tow the line, the thing you're not worried about is can I actually do the distance? Yeah. What you can focus on then is doing the distance as best that you can. And you'd have the experience of going that distance. It's another advantage. So you know how to pace yourself. You know, hang on a minute, I am going too fast. I know it's going to be a lot harder later on. I need to back off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So follow the training plans. But I think our advice is if you want to do the best in your A race, you need to have run the distance as well before the day. Mm. In a similar style of terrain as well that you would be running and we'll get into that in a second so that's basic training plans Thane mentioned just now though about hilly work and ultras and I think we think that whatever type of race you're doing you're never going to go wrong if you smack in a lot of hill work yeah there's a lot so there's a lot of things you can do isn't there to increase your ability to to run well and that includes doing strength work 
to just physically get stronger in the legs and be able to use those muscles and, and getting stronger throughout your body in terms of stability. The biggest forces on your body during a, during a running race are, is still the same as they are in normal life. It's gravity sucking you down. So keeping a good posture through a, a race, especially long a long race, is important. And certainly when you get up to the very long distances, that can be <laughs> the forces of gravity on your body can be crippling. Um, as you start to bend and buckle, um, yeah. uh, you know, it really, really does become an issue. But so, but just generally being stronger throughout your entire body is important. You can get that through just running, but you know what? Another way of doing it, especially in the winter months, is probably to do some strength training. Hill work adds a lot of strength to you. So even though there might not be hills on your race, doesn't mean that you shouldn't go out and actually do some hill work. Find a good hill to run up. We've got one we've run quite a lot in Bristol called Bridge Valley Road. There's loads of people who run up and down Bridge Valley Road because it's 0.7, uh, 0.7 kilometres, I think. Yeah, yeah, 700 metres long and it's just a steady gradient all the way up. No traffic cutting across the road or anything and people, loads of people run that road. So we've done it like 20 times back to back and stuff that we've running for transfer training for transfer carnia doing some hill work through will only add strength to you and it also gives a bit of a fart look thing as well i.e you're going okay. uh, going at pace and then slowing down yeah so let's talk about fart licks as you've just mentioned them so fart licks swedish 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 yes. swedish for, for speed play i think so the idea of fart lick training is to do interval training what the people call interval training so you run faster than slow faster than slow now there's different ways you can do that you can do it by distance or you can do it by time uh, and i think the way that most people find it's easy to do is to do it by some sort of visual reference yeah and so if you're going out and training on one of your training runs do some fart lick training so that might be that if you're running somewhere with lampposts that you try and sprint between the distance of two or three lampposts and then jog lightly for the distance of two or three lampposts and do that for 15 20 minutes it's going to really, really, really increase your lung capacity and your aerobic capacity. Mm. You'll have done the same distance, but you'll have run it harder. But actually, it's a lot easier than just trying to run it a little bit harder for the whole run. Um, and it's that sprint training that really works. And it's this cross training, the idea of doing things a little bit different than you'd be doing in the actual run and keeping, rather than just keeping the runs the same every time that will keep you interested, we think, and do things differently. So Fane talked about being strong in races and doing some strength training. Go down the gym, mm-hmm. push some weights with your legs, do some abdominal work. Your core strength is so important, especially in longer races. As Thane said, you need to hold your body and your posture correctly. That's going to stop you getting injured and it's going to stop you damaging your knees and your muscles. If you've got good core strength in your, in your abdominals, it will make a huge difference, especially in a longer race. The other thing, of course, is that you don't have to just do running or gym work. If you play rugby, don't think because you've got a training plan that you've got to give up your rugby. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you have to drop a run so you can play rugby on a Saturday or a Sunday, go out and do it. Just think about it. Rugby is full of sprints and stops, sprints and stops. Yeah, it's, it's great yeah. CV training. If you're a swimmer, go and do some swimming. What's great about swimming? Well, if you think about swimming, you hold your breath while you're swimming. So it's great for making your body more oxygen efficient. Mm. So there's loads of different types of training you can do. Don't think you have to give up what you currently do to do running training. Yeah. And it gives all your strength as well. So as an example, painting a picture from last year with, and we took the, our A race was Transvolcania and we took, we took it very seriously. So two steps I did to improve my training were one I did strength work uh so a guy called jules taylor in bristol and i was with him and i went did um an hour a week basically 
uh, and he just beasted me <laughs> to give in. He, he's got a, he had a background of ultra running and doing uh, endurance sports as well, which was really handy. So he's actually able to get the right kind of training, the right kind of strength, uh, and was, he was able to kind of watch and see how he's improving and, and, and change the exercises up, which was really good from just adding strength throughout my body. The second thing I did was actually join an athletics club in Bristol, and I was the oldest. It was quite embarrassing way. Lots of young kids, but there was a few old people, and, and, and I think the older runners were well, kind of ultra runners. I think there's like four ultra runners in the club, and what it did was that's kind of giving that speed work, that fart looking. Uh, but doing it in a way that was really forcing me to do it. So they basically would say, uh, it was around a, around a kind of a sports pitch and it was like, right, go for a minute, go and just go as fast as you possibly could. And I'd just be basically trying to hang on with all the young, um, young kids and stuff. Uh, and then they would have like a minute off. You'd go walk back to the start and then you'd do two minutes. And it basically went up like a ladder. So one minute so going as fast as you can, then two, then three, then four, then five, and then back four, three, two, one type thing. And at the end of that, you've been doing like probably about 45 minutes of running in about an hour and 10 minutes or something like that. But that improves your fitness so much. And talking about fitness, this is all about if you improve your level of fitness, then you're going to improve your ability to run better for longer distances. So effectively, if you're raising your heart rate enough, you're getting stronger, you're raising what's called your VO2 max, your oxygen take up, you're improving your lactate threshold, which is your ability to deal with the points at which you start generating too much lactate in your in your muscles. So you actually start to decline. Um, raising those to a higher levels means that actually you can run more comfortably below it. And that's something else we can talk about and we plan to talk about in another episode. Yes, but I think the point about working with a running club it's the same about as it is training with a friend. Mm. When you're out training on your own, if you start to feel tired, you can start to slacken off. Mm. And if you're with a friend and they go, stop slacking off. Come on, we're trying to train hard here. You go, all right. And you, and you push it on a little bit harder or you don't want to slacken off because you don't want to be, you want so, to keep up with the person you're with. So there's motivation yeah. about training with other people and if with, you can. And with the athletics club, the thing that was really motivating for me was they would, a couple of the trainers would be around, uh, around the course, just kind of saying, encouraging people. And quite often they'll be saying, come on, boys, doing really well. And then it'd be like, come on, girls, catch the boys. And then. Oh, well done, Thane. Keep going. And I'll be at the back. And I was so desperate not to be last all the time. But it really, really, really forced me to run as fast as I possibly could. Yeah. And there's a lot of, a lot of benefit from even doing, even doing sprint work. So a lot of books read would actually encourage you doing very short, sharp sprint works just to the length of a pitch and back again. And that's because it improves your, your, um, your performance, your, your efficiency in running. When you're sprinting, you are using your muscles and, um, uh, using, changing your gait to be as efficient as you possibly can because you're driving it to efficiency. And therefore doing a bit of that means you actually, when you start to run slower, you're still carrying some of that, um, behavior in your running. And I think an extension of the training with a running club and doing things like that are the B's and C races that we talked about earlier. Mm. In that, so why do we do B and C races? Especially why do we do C races? Well, you can go out and you can train on a weekend and you can run up and down Bridge Valley Road or you can go for a run around the block or however long it is. But there is something, at least for me and I think for you, in lining up with a group of people to do something that's a race, for want of a better term, that motivates you to run just that little bit harder and try Mm. just that little bit harder. And also, if you're running around a big group of people, it gives you some motivation. You don't want the person behind you necessarily to overtake you. You can see that person in front and use, and you can run towards them and try and catch them up. It's, it's helpful. And so that's the reason that we do 
B and C races when we're targeting an A race because it helps improve your performance ready for that A race. It gets you ready to the feeling as well of, of where you need to be in, in the field and not turning up at your A race, standing at the front of the line, then all of a sudden being dragged off at a ridiculous pace and then absolutely ruining your race in the first two kilometres. Correct. <laughs> it gives you that feeling of, okay, I'm happy for people to sprint off. That's not me. I'm going to be about two thirds of the way back. You get, get a feeling for how you're going to run the race and how you're going to do it sensibly and what works and what doesn't work. You will learn very quickly that standing at the front and racing off with the racing snakes is not the way to run your best time. Correct. It's far better to learn that in your, your local park run than it is to run it to find out at the London Marathon that you've really messed up. Yeah, and we talked earlier on about anxiety. And anxiety comes from mostly a fear of the unknown. Mm. Unless, of course, you know, unless you've tried to run before, <laughs> and you know it's going to hurt, in which case you're never going to get rid of that anxiety. So if you're used to standing on a start line, if you're just used to going to races, if you're used to being around a pack of people getting ready for a race, that will start to feel more natural and more normal. Mm. And that part of the preparation and that part of the day won't make you feel anxious yeah. anymore. And reducing that anxiety, enabling you to focus on the race properly, will stop you being nervous. And nerves is what causes people to go quickly in races mm. because the adrenaline pumps and off you go. And as you've said, that's very rarely the right way to go. Uh, and we've got evidence of that. And yeah, so- I remember doing little half, you know, say little, but doing half marathons and stuff from starting out doing, taking running more seriously. And you just get carried on. You say, Oh, I'll run with you, mate, kind of thing. And then you, you end, you realize that you can't, you know, just being slightly different in pace can make a huge difference. The faster person's like, Oh, I can go faster than this. And the slower person's like, you know, lungs are hanging out on the, on the, on the Absolutely. pavement. And just knowing that, you know what, mate, you know, we'll just run around races. We'll maybe say to get a couple of kilometers, but you just go and having that confidence to let somebody else go because, you know, you can't make it, uh, and running your race. And you'll have that with having done it. Exactly. From that, yeah. from that practice. So having spoken about B and C races, uh, a few weeks ago, we went to Brent Knoll in Somerset, which is somewhere that I grew up. And I'd been up Brent Knoll as about a 10-year-old with my parents. It's a very big hill. If you drive down the M5, you're in between uh, Western Supermare and Burnham-on-Sea, you'll spot it on the right-hand side. Uh, so we went down there to use it as a C race, a training race, just to keep us going, to push us. And to do some decent hill work. And trust me, uh, if you've been up front knoll and when you hear how the race went, it's proper hill work. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's, there's some steep bits on it. So this is a little bit that we recorded on the run up Brent Knoll a few weeks ago. Runners on trail. Five, four, three, two, one. Go. <laughs> Looking forward to the mud quite a lot. So we're at Tom's Green. It's the Brent Null race. Brent Null's looming up in front of us. It doesn't look that high. For anyone who's done this race, those of us who live in the area, we know it is high. I'm looking forward to running up it to a degree. But at the same time, yeah. I think it's a fair amount. It is lovely out here. It's really peaceful. Running along farm trails next to drainage ditches on the sunset levels. It's really lovely. I grew up around here, so pretty nostalgic. And yeah, really like being home. 
You run, run here up. No, first time round right here. Uh, mate, you live local, so I can live on my green. No, we're sort of working up to the Glinton. The what, sorry? The Glinton Park House. Okay. Um, Where's that? You can see Glinton, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Alright, so, here we are. We are uh, about two and three quarter k's in, and we're on our way up. Rent roll, rent roll. Oh, it's Steve. I get the power walk. Best of luck. Yeah, and you, you'll get the power I'm sure. I'm sure. Check, of course, to try and walk with your feet as flat as you can on the floor. Use all the grip from your shoes. Okay, on instantly just go onto our toes. Oh, that's all the first rise. Style, and away we go. Oh, my God. That wasn't really red now. That was just the first little climb to get to the bottom of it. Sorry, mate. I'll tell you. What's your name? Greg. Greg. I'm Anthony. Nice to meet you. So we're uh, four and a quarter kilometres in. No, no, I don't want to go. To the Brindle race. And I've caught up with Greg again. 85 minutes so far. Yeah. Well, yeah. Second big climb and uh yeah, unfortunately, it's a bit of a walk. Yeah. Catch me breath. Not ideal, but half expected. It is steep. There's no doubt about that. Oh, well oh that's it. Look at the top. Look at the view. That's brilliant. Oh, so behind us, we can see the sea over at Burnham. In front of us, the Somerset Levels, Holden Hills. Oh, it's amazing. And right in the distance now, Glastonbury Tour. Oh, this is such an awesome run. You really, really have got to come do this. And we're off down the hill. Whoa, it's steep! It really is steep. Here we go, really steep hill. And there's someone ahead of me who clearly does hills for a living. She is so quick. She went flying across me on the last one. And she's just gone flying down this thing. And left everybody standing still. That's immense. I've got a chat to at the end if I can. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's one of those hazy days. The sun's fighting its way through a high little grey sky. It's just beautiful. Oh, Greg, keep going. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I don't think we're going to quite make it. <laughs> it's going to be tight, but I think we're just going to miss it. <laughs> 50 down, I think. Oh. Oh. Well done. Thank you. Oh. 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 What's your name? Joe. Pum? Joe. Joe. Do you mind if I just have a trail running podcast? We're obviously literally 20 seconds with you. So, I'm sitting with Joe at the finishing line, and it was her. 
they went flying down the hills past everybody, leaving, leaving us like we were dead. Do you practice that? It's just my thing. It's, I'm not good on the flat. <laughs> Downhill, I'm alright. You're amazing. Thank you. Uh, I am covered in mud. Especially on the, yeah, on the backside. Big fall down the hill. Oh. Yeah, that was big. Great run, though. Fantastic run. So lovely. So pretty. Nice medal as well. And a bottle of water at the finish. Which for a little local run on a Sunday, I reckon it's pretty good. And it costs 10 quid to run. I mean, 10 quid. The level of organisation there was in this. Amazing trail marking. Brilliant marshals. You, it, yeah, no way you could go wrong. Runners on trail. So that was the Brent Knoll race. Um, as you can hear, quite an emotional journey for me. I've done it as a kid. And it, yeah, it was almost like I could feel my childhood flooding back. It's a little bit weird because <laughs> I haven't been up it in 30 years. My, my overriding emotion was, God, I'm unfit at the moment because <laughs> I'm not, I'm in a bit of a fallow bit of my year. I've not really done much training the last couple of months. So that was a bit of a shock to the system, but, but a good shock. Yeah. It, it was a lovely, it was lovely. The view up there was amazing. Amazing. Did you see so far? I was really pleased to do it in 50 minutes. I have to say, I, as you can probably hear at the end, once again, the runners on trail vomit noises come in to hit you. I didn't actually puke. Uh, it was just me retching as I was running towards the line to try and make sure I got in under 50 minutes. And 50 minutes, Deb, is absolutely fine. I'm happy with that. But yeah, apologies for the retching noises. And I think I came in at like 59 minutes, I think. So uh, fair way behind you. Yeah, it is. It's a very good training run. So we've talked about the training plans and the actual going out and running. But of course, for trail running and also for road running as well, but especially for trail running, it's not just about doing the runs. It's about having the right kit. Yeah. And I should say that, that in trail and ultra running, actually, kit kit isn't necessarily a killer differentiator where price matters. I've heard this talked about. The good thing is that actually it's just about finding the right kit that works for you. And there's, if you need a pair of trainers, they're going to cost you between like seventeen and hundred fifty quid. But it's not like it's not like triathlon where you need a bike, and the difference between a five hundred pound bike and a five thousand pound bike is really critical. It's just about finding the right kit that works for you, and it's generally the same price and not massively expensive. So it's all about trying to find what what works for you. And there's loads of brands, and most most important thing obviously is a pair of shoes. But I think all nearly all running companies make good shoes these days. They're all of a good quality. You can all put them on and you know, almost straight away go out and run in them. And it's finding out what works for you and what's got the right kind of shoe for the race you're doing. And personally, I've got quite a few pairs of shoes depending on the race I'm doing. Very has you. more shoes than you can possibly believe. Well, so look, I, I have a very strong opinion on this. I think your opinion is less strong. Okay. Uh, but my very strong opinion is find a good local running shop that does gait analysis, really understands runners. And you'll know that because when you go in and talk to them, they want to know how heavy you are how much training you're doing, what type of training you're doing. And then they'll do a gait analysis with you and then they'll recommend some trainers for you and they'll let you try them on and possibly run on a treadmill. And then what you need to do is not worry about the colours, not worry about anything else, <laughs> buy the trainer that they've recommended for you, for you that fits and feels the best and be willing to pay retail price for it because they've given you a service and that service is really important. And why is that? I can tell you why that's really important. Because early on in my running time, I didn't do that. And I did some internet research, thought I knew everything. I found a trainer that was cheap, thought that suits the bill, trained in it. What had I not got right? It was a trainer for someone who weighs a lot more than me. So it was a lot firmer in the sole. And I ended up with shin splints. 
Yeah. And no one wants that to happen. People in running shops, good running shops, know what they're talking about. Now, once you've run out a pair of trainers, and trainers only last about 500 miles max, mm. you'll start to lose the cushioning in them and they'll become more solid and you need to change them. By all means, go onto the internet, find exactly the same pair of trainers if it's worked for you and pay less money for it. But that first bit, yeah, support your local running shop because they're an absolute godsend. And a lot of them have running clubs as well, which will help you. Yeah, I, where I can, I do buy all my stuff from a from a running shop, but just to support the fact that they're there, I think it's important. However, I would, I would, my my advice would be to go to, as you say, go to a good running shop when you're starting out and get some good advice on a trainer that works. Don't just take a complete wild stab in the dark and buy a pair of trainers uh, without some good advice. Loads of good running shops around but go to a proper running dedicated running shop not yeah. not a shop that sells lots of stuff oh and there's a trainer section at the back that's yes, not we, the we, we do go. not mean sports direct no we we mean going and getting some really good advice from a dedicated running shop and there's normally uh, you know they're all over the countries um but personally what i what one of the things i find especially with trail running where it's it depends on the kind of race you're doing kind of races so i wear salomon choose as the ones that work with my feet um it's not the first brand i tried or started on but they just work for me and uh, they work for my feet style and stuff but what annoys me slightly is i go to go to running shops and they'll normally just sell speed crosses <laughs> because Which is a, that's, sorry for those listening that's a type of salmon shoe yeah and it's it's a it's a kind of a cross country it works quite well in in kind of british muddy kind of conditions and you do see a lot of people wearing them but but salmon make for example 45 different kind of makes of of shoe and therefore all different kinds of trail road running and different styles and i can never find those in real shops and so i end up having to buy them on the internet because i can't get that diversity and that's the same with other brands as well and i think that's a frustration for me is buying trail running shoes most good running shops will have a very wide variety of road trainers yeah and to be fair my local running shop up and running in bristol has a decent amount of trail shoes but nowhere near the same. They've probably got 25% of the stock that they have of road shoes. But that, but that's fair because that's the amount, yes. amount that people yeah. run on roads. So yes, it is more difficult. I guess my point earlier was probably more tailored towards road shoes yes. than trail shoes yeah, for yeah. training. Uh, yeah. Um, rather than trail shoes for training. So there you go. Support your local running shop. Make sure you get the right shoes. That's really important. Yeah. When it comes to other kit, I think I absolutely agree with you that you could go for the most ultra lightweight and try and spend a lot of money on stuff what difference does it really make honestly if you end up two pounds heavier in your backpack Mm. i weigh 170 pounds an extra two pounds (laughs) in my backpack from six pounds to eight pounds probably doesn't make a huge amount of difference no it might feel like it does want to pick it up but by the time i'm running in it Mm. it doesn't it's only i like the analogy people said where money can't buy you success in trail running or running really correct (laughs) whereas it can in other sports it really doesn't in running it's a good leveler for that but what we would suggest definitely is get the kit that you're going to race in and if that's just trainers that or trail shoes that's fine if you're doing a longer distance race and you're going to need a race vest get the race vest get all the kit you're going to need to train in it and at some point, at least make sure that the vest is weighted to the same amount that's going to be on the day so that you're training in that and it feels natural. And people might be listening to the first time. We should probably describe what we mean by a race vest even. So a race vest, yeah, is sort of like a... vest or... Yeah, it's, the best way we can describe it, it's, it's sort of like a, a specialist rucksack for trail running or ultra distance running that, can take, that you can put all your kit in. They're very body forming, body hugging. They've got pockets for water bottles. Lots of pockets for putting different gels and nutrition and things like that in. Yeah, lots of ready access areas. And typically the water 
tends to be not always but up front yeah. in order to or in a, or in a bladder on the back um, yeah. um, uh, you know we're not bladder fans but some people are but it tends to be what I'm saying is that the weight tends to be distributed around the body yeah. so it's not like a rucksack which is hanging off your back Correct. this is something which is where the load is distributed around your body so, you, so quite often when you're wearing them you don't really even feel them you don't notice you're wearing them yeah. Right? Yeah. but I think you do what you would notice would be if you not trained in it is the added weight and it would affect your legs and everything else so you need to train in the kit, you're going to run your racing. And that's not just to do with your, your backpack. That's to do with your shorts and your socks yeah. and your top. It's knowing how all that functions. It's knowing that where where am I going to stick my, my energy? Where am I going to stick food? Where am I going to stick my jacket? How can I access that? And that only comes from going out and running and <laughs> running in the rain and actually using it for real. Well, it's also just to know that where's it going to wear? You know, are you yeah. going to end up with band chafing? Yeah. Do the shorts that you think are brilliant and work fantastically for your 10 mile run mm. actually chafe you ridiculously for your 20 mile run? Mm. Time to buy another pair of shorts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all that sort of stuff. So there at least is a bit where you have to make sure you've trained in the kit you're going to race in. Mm. And again, it's, we come back to it again. It's all about making sure that you are ready for the race. And when you step up to the line, it's something you're not worried about. Yeah. And Get rid of the uncertainty. Yeah. And if anyone's worried about running in this kind of stuff around town, I would say don't be. We, we, we run in our trail running stuff all the time, don't we, around Bristol? And you see, you see more and more people these days actually wearing, you know, race vests and stuff like that, just going out for runs. So there's. Yeah. I don't worry. Yeah. I can, it's easy to say, don't worry what you look like. You know, if, if you're worried about your body, then whatever I say about don't worry about your body. You know, we see lots of people out running of all shapes and sizes. And all we ever think is, fantastic yeah, I'm, running I'm made up um, and see people out yeah running. so it doesn't matter what your age is or what shape or size you are but it, look if that bothers you find some kit that you feel comfortable running in mm. I've got no issues you know I see lots of people running out in leggings and think why are you running in leggings you could be in shorts you know it's, it's a hot sunny day but if being in leggings makes you feel more comfortable and go out and run then wear leggings but just make sure you train in whatever kit you're going to run in yeah yeah so having just said you need to make sure that you train yeah in the kit you're going to race in the same, of course, is true of what you're going to take in on your race day. Now, for short distances, things like half marathons, water is going to be basically fine. Generally speaking, you, you, you carry a certain amount of energy in your body, which is readily accessible. And typically, that's what people describe in old terminology of hitting the wall in a marathon. So to get to that 20 miles, you've got that kind of energy um, in carbohydrates in your body. Shorter races, all you really need is is water. As the race gets longer, especially towards a marathon, you start to need to be taking on energy if you're relying on carbohydrates to get that far. And you can't just wait until you've run out of carbohydrates and hit the wall in order to add them into your system. You need to be taking them on board before you get there. So yeah. half marathon, you could just maybe get away with water. I think most people would take on some kind of energy. Um, marathons, you absolutely need to be taking on something to replace those. And as the races get longer, actually, it becomes a strategy then maybe of not relying on carbohydrates, but relying on fat burning, which is a different topic and probably beyond what we're going to talk about today. But, yes. But it needs to be, you need to think about the race you're doing and what you need to take on board and the kind of energy. If you do a park run, you don't need an energy gel. You're just going to run a park run with water. So so all this, I think, when we're talking about nutrition is in the context of the distance you're running. Yeah, and up to a sort of marathon length, and especially if you're running on roads, you're not going to be running in a race vest. You're not going to want to carry a lot of stuff. So things like gels are probably where you want to go. Or you might want to carry a water bottle. I quite often do, even in a road run, carry a water bottle. I know a lot of people don't. They just use the aid stations and the water stops. But I tend to carry a water bottle with an energy drink in it. 
And that gives me enough carbohydrate as I go through to make sure I probably don't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. But here's the point. I guess the point is, if you're going to rely on the stations, the A stations in the race you're doing, most good marathons will tell you what's well in advance what's going to be at those stations. Yeah. And if they're going to give you Lucasaid Sport, and that's what you're going to use to make sure you get some energy, train using Lucasaid Sport. Yeah. Just see how it works. Make sure it works for you. There, there are there are various different types of the carbohydrate-driven energy that you can get. We talked about gels, but even gels come in a couple of couple of types there's yep. the ones which are isotonic where you can just take them and you don't need to have taken on extra water there's other ones that are more energy rich and and smaller volumes but you do need to be taking on water to make that work otherwise you're actually going to reduce the water in your body so find one that works for you and then you or- can just buy them for like they're only like you know what say one pound fifty each you can just go along to a sports shop normally and pick up three or four or five different ones and give them a go exactly but if you want to use the energy that's provided by the race providers make sure you've trained using it yeah to make sure that you know either that you know it works for you but just so your body's used to taking it on if you start a race and you run a race and you take on loads of food that you're not used to eating don't be surprised if your stomach decides it's gonna have a field day and, and reject it all mm. you know that's bound to happen and as you say other as apart from being gels there's also the energy drink type things so you have the ones which are you know kind of consumer made and ready you just open the top and drink them but there's also like your lucasade and stuff but there's also the ones um where you add powder to a drink and that would be that you wouldn't probably get that at a race but you would you might have that on you you might take that powder with you to put into water during a race. Exactly. Um, so things like Tailwind or Science in Sport, and there's some other ones as well yeah. that you can buy. So it comes in different types. So I would just say, you know, if you're starting out and you've got the time, do some experimentation. But absolutely, make sure you've tried them before the race. Don't just suddenly turn up on toe the start line and expect it all to work. No. Now, interesting, you haven't spoken about drinks. One thing we didn't talk about earlier, and it's worth talking about, I think now, is... Having gone out and done your training runs, mm. what you do afterwards. And so okay. I think when you get back from your training runs, what's really important is to make sure that you're well hydrated. Because when you go out and train, chances are you don't drink as much as you should. So what should you do when you get back? If you're doing really long training runs, something like a protein drink mm. within the first half hour of getting back is really going to help your muscles recover. A isotonic drink, not necessarily a carb replacement drink, but just one replaces the salts in your body. Again, it's going to allow your body to get back to its normal working pace and normal working state much more quickly, which allow it to repair itself much better. But the other thing that's really important, and none of us do it properly or enough, is stretching. Oh. I know, but it is really important. Stretching out properly after a run and making sure that your body is in a, your muscles are well stretched mm-hmm. and making sure that you get rid of all that scar tissue because what you're doing every time you run is causing little micro tears in your muscles and that's making them stronger ultimately when they rebuild but you've got to get rid of that scar tissue and stretching helps it stay smooth and elastic the other thing you can do is get some kind of roller now a foam roller is something that you really really have to want to use because using a foam roller hurts there is no doubt about it it's brilliant though for getting rid of those bits I like I've got a little handball roller that I used to roll around my legs yeah. and I literally will sit on the sofa while I'm watching TV or doing anything rolling my legs out that doesn't mm-hmm. hurt so much and it's a really good way of just keeping yourself loose yeah I agree I, th- I think think the um, 
typically when I'm in a kind of more of my dedicated training phase, I'll certainly have protein recovery drink afterwards. They work well. And it means you can do lots of concurrent runs. And yeah, if I can, I'll roll out. What I'm really poor at, and it's a, is it, just doing general stretching. My brother swears by it, and I know, you know, he's been a very good runner. Is actually, if you think about it, if you, especially on kind of long runs, what you're doing is you, your muscles kind of start to contract through long races. You get tighter. And therefore, if you don't have much flexibility to start with, all of a sudden now you're affecting your gait, you're affecting your range, your muscles can work over. Yep. And then you end up slowing so you can't run. But actually, if you're well stretched out and you and your muscles are of a good length, actually, when they start to contract, it's not affecting your gait as much. So, and, that's, and I'm very poor at that. I need to do more just general stretching. And quite a lot of training plans will have an evening where you're not running, you're not doing anything else. All you're doing is spending an hour stretching well and it brings us back to that cross training bit earlier we talked about people going to the gym and doing fartlek training and doing rugby mm-hmm. hey don't think that by going down to doing yoga of an evening in your gym that you're wasting an evening of running training not you're all. not absolutely not that core strength that we talked about earlier and the flexibility you're going to gain from that is pro- is going to absolutely be just as effective done in the right balance compared to the running yeah as going out for an extra training run Really important flexibility yeah. and something I think that is massively underrated in people. The other thing that will really help if you want to um, help yourself, especially if you're trail running, is balance training. So when you run on a trail, I've said before, on the road, every step is the same. On the trail, every step is different. Mm. Rolling your ankles and rolling your feet on trails is a is a hazard that we know well because Thane did it 10 weeks before Transalcania this year. It's absolutely proven that people with better balance roll their feet and ankles less because your body is more naturally attuned to adjusting itself when it feels itself going out of kilter. That's how people balance well, is they're able to notice better as they're starting to go wrong. And so when I rolled my medial ligaments, I was taught to, as part of my recovery, to stand on one leg and draw the alphabet with my other foot in the air and try and go through the whole alphabet and then do that on both feet and do it every day. Little things like that, ways of increasing your balance and then try and do it with your eyes closed by the way that's really difficult <laughs> um will absolutely help you prevent injury yeah i think that's good advice apart from as well running on trails when you're actually training if you can well that's the same thing about train how you're going to race yeah, train for the type of terrain you're going to do and good advice for trail running is generally speaking at start of season it's getting that fitness up getting getting that strength up then doing runs and then you're doing as you get closer towards the race, you're doing things which are more akin to what you're going to experience in that race. Finding as best as you can the type of terrain you're going to be running over, finding the gradients that you're going to be running over. And I mean, really trying to find, oh, it's not just a hill. Really, if, if there's lots of 15% climb, go and do 15% climb. If you're using poles, are you thinking of using them? Go try using them on that kind of gradient. It, not, it might not, in your local area, you're unlikely to find something that matches or has got necessarily the continuation of that level of climb but at least go and hunt that stuff out and think god that doesn't work what hang on what am i going to do this this poles are the wrong length or you know just try try and find something like it so you're familiar with it and once again that's where your gym can really come in handy if you if you know you've got a 10 percent gradient for four miles and you haven't got one of those at home Go to the gym, stick the treadmill on 10%. It's also trail and run up, and run up for four, run up for four miles. A, then you'll know what it's going to be like. I mean, it won't be the same terrain. It won't be quite the same, but it's the best you can yeah, do. That's of, what you've got to lots do. Lots of good trail runners who live in very flat bits of the US, for example, have no access to any hill whatsoever. Um, and what they do is they, they've just have uh, treadmills and put them on angles and stuff like that and just train on them. And what's that going to do? 
ultimately, hopefully, if you're training it right, you'll get the race right. But before that, you won't get injured either because you'll build up right to it. That leads us on to injuries and illness. The fact of the matter is, you're going to suffer with something. You might not get injured, per se, when you're training, but you're certainly going to get ill. Everyone gets a cold, everyone gets a cough through the year. So how do we cope with that? And how do you cope with that when you get injured and square that with, um, but I'm training for a race, I've got a training plan. What do I do? Yeah, my, my experience where you, you've got to back off. You've got to, you've, there's no point training or just continuing blindly with your training when you're not feeling, when, you, when you're injured or you're ill in some way. Um, especially if you've got like a flu or something like that, going out and doing some hard runs can be re, can, can be actually quite dangerous. Um, my brother actually got hospitalized <laughs> by having a flu and thinking and just still hammering it hard and ended up getting an infection inside his heart wall. But that's an extreme case. But, but you just need to, not saying you don't have to do anything, but take the opportunity to maybe do stretching, maybe do some meditation, maybe do some research into your race and some other planning. There's lots of training in inverted commas you can do, you know, at home that don't, that will benefit you without actually having to go and hit it hard on the roads. And that comes back to that anxiety piece again. If you've yeah. researched your race properly, you'll have less anxiety on the day. So it's an absolutely valuable part of training. Yeah. Spend that time, as we've talked about earlier, go on the internet and look at the different nutrition you could be using. Yeah. Look at all the different kit you could be having. There's lots of stuff you can do. Yeah. And it happens but- to everybody. So d- don't think... I've never done training where I've not had something or, you know, where I've stuck to a kind of training plan over like three, four months and not had to be deviated. There might be some work trip you've got to go overseas for and you do the best you can, but you can't stick to it. You could, you're more likely to be ill. You might have some niggles, but that's the same for absolutely everybody. Absolutely. Pros or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Everyone, everyone will pick up some injury. It's not, you know, it's not just you. (laughs) You just have to adapt. Exactly. So I guess the point here is, most training plans that you download will not factor that in. Yeah. So factor it in from the beginning. Start your training plan a month earlier than the training plan says you're going to. And that way, when you start to get ill, there's a gap in your training plan that you can naturally put back in there. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what well, I think. Yeah, or at least expect it. Don't, you know, or yeah, as you say, it's probably best just to, 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 to try and cater for that because it, exactly. won't, it won't appear in the training plan. Well, all you do then in the middle of the training plan is just extend out, do some of the weeks twice in the middle. If you've yeah. not become sick, if you're very lucky, then great. And a couple of weeks off, is your your fitness is not going to deteriorate through the floor. You're going to pick that back up in within a couple of days. And do you know what? Sometimes a little break, <laughs> it's amazing how much benefit yeah. that can give to you. Yeah. So yes, definitely. Don't worry, Don't worry about, about it, it. But I think both of our advice is take the time to either back off or completely stop training. Yeah. Until you feel better. The phys- and then once physical. you feel better, I would say wait one more day. <laughs> wait one more day before you do it in training. Obviously, physical injuries are slightly more depends on really what it is. And you've got to see proper advice for that. And there's so many yes. things. It's not, up, it's not our place to go and say stuff. But, you know, from personal experience, yes, I'd rolled an ankle 10 weeks before Transvulcania and I had to take it easy, but I got good advice. And I was actually still, you know, just after a few days, I was able to do some basic training in a certain way. Yes. Um, it wasn't necessarily the training I wanted to do, but I was able to get out there and do some very gentle things and was able to actually keep that level of fitness going and was able to build it back up again so that actually what in theory could have been a event cancelling incident actually I was still able to do it and still did you know quite well just taking it a little bit easier and I did have to accept on the race that I was going to lose half an hour three quarters of an hour by just taking it steady on the downhills which I did but you know what that was a small detractor from what was a really good race so yeah 
So it's coming up to January and February. It's dark, it's cold, and it's wet. What's going to make you get out there and train? Now, it could be that you're a hugely motivated person and your A race is there and you will go out come hell or high water and train. Or you could be like most of us who will open the curtains and look outside and go, yeah, I don't fancy that today. There's a fantastic book by a guy called Dave Kincannon called Little Dave's Big Fitness Plan. And in it, apart from all the amazing motivational stuff he he says in it, and I really, really would recommend the book to you, he says, the toughest thing about training is tying up your shoelaces. And what he means by that is that when you look outside and it's rainy as it's cold, your brain says to you, don't go out today. And so the toughest thing is to put your, is getting your clothes on and getting the motivation to get outside the front door. Because once you're out there and once you're running, the endorphins are flowing through your body and you've conquered that bit of anxiety that says, I don't want to go outside and train in the rain. And once you're out there in training, you feel brilliant about yourself for having conquered it. Yeah. So what would I say to you? The toughest bit is tying your laces. Say that to yourself as a mantra over and over again. Get the kit on, tie the laces and get out the door. And remember that when you get home, you'll feel brilliant for having done it. You'll be allowed to have that extra takeaway. And, and do you know what? Treat yourself to that <laughs> takeaway for going out and doing it or that extra drink if you want it. But that's the toughest thing. Motivation can be really hard. Um, so one, be motivated. Remember the toughest thing is tying your shoelaces. And hey, go out and buy Dave's book because it's brilliant. <laughs> My things I, I do is I find motivation wise, if I haven't entered into a race and I get lethargic, I don't do the training. Uh, and I know that that's just, that's just me. And it's, there's a lot of people as well. As soon as I've entered that race and I'm committed, I'm like, blimey, I've just spent 50 quid. I'm, you know, there's no way I'm giving that up. I've got to do the training. And that just gives me the little nudge over the edge. The other thing I do is, uh, uh, rather than books, I've, I get quite a lot of motivation out of listening to podcasts and music. <laughs> listen to podcasts. Uh, no, They're no. brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> but I listened, I listened to this one called Your World Within, which is free. You can look it up and it's on, it's on, um, YouTube and you can download it as, um, songs as well. Well, not songs, actually just spoken word but it's this guy that does some real good motivation and he, he does a lot of running and there's one called running in the rain which is really good and sometimes i listen to those and go right it just gives me that kind of almost like a coach talk about getting outside and just getting on with it and stop messing around well interestingly dave's book came about because he was doing some ra- a radio program with a, a dj every week on motivation and how to get out and train okay. and so it's a you know, yeah. funny thing these things and sometimes you need same. to hear it from somebody else that kind of get that kick and we don't have personal coaches necessarily we can't afford them but you know what there are kind of virtual coaches there are definitely virtual coaches and do you know what there there is that little bit of personal trainers you can actually download download sort of personal trainers electronic ones but also there are some personal coaches that will just do it by telephone and talk to you about what you should be doing each week rather than seeing you you know slightly cheaper and, and might work for you i think the other thing as well is you sort of said it yourself then if you're not going out and training then you feel less inclined to train once you're out training and seeing the benefits of it, there's yeah. a motivational factor in that to go out the next day and yeah. do the next bit of the training plan because you can see the benefits yeah. and, and it feels good and you and you you can immediately remember how good how good it feels. If you haven't trained for a bit, you forget how good yeah. it feels when you get out there and train. And that's sometimes what's the benefits of using some of the should we say electronic aids and stuff. The fact that you can actually monitor your progress if you've got a, a watch and it could just be a stopwatch around a set fixed route. But if you've got one of the GPS tracking watches, you, you can see stuff. And my watch gives me. Um, uh, ideas of my VO2 max and lactate threshold. Now I can see improvement over time. Don't expect to see a, a change race, you know, day to day, but actually you look back a week, you look back a month, you do see some improvements and that's motivational. And the other thing that's made a difference, um, to me is 
is putting it up on Strava. So Strava is like a, a place where you uh, community share your workouts. It's very popular. Uh, although it's got a bit of a social media edge to it, but it's nothing like Facebook. Really, people are really encouraging. And you might watch just uploads it as soon as I finish the run. It just automatically appears. And then people I know have, have just kind of commented, oh, you've done a good run today. Thank well done. And you see that motivation, you see yourself improving and there's these virtual racetracks on there and stuff. So you can see how you're comparing against other people and stuff. And it just gives you that other, it's just another way of motivating you to get out and do the training. So having mentioned Strava, if you're doing a short run, you probably won't need what I'm about to talk about. But if you're doing a longer run, buying a wrist-mounted GPS or something like a Fitbit or something like that will help you. And why do I say that? When I run, I use my GPS all the time, even on my short runs. If you start to slack off, you, most of it, most of them will show the pace you're running. You can literally see yourself starting to go slower. Now, once you've raced, run a lot, you'll know exactly how fast you're going and know when you're going, sl- when you're slacking off. But at the beginning, it will help you. And if you're trying to run to a pace and then the next day you try and run five seconds a mile quicker and yeah. the next day after that, five seconds a mile quicker and it's on your wrist and you can see it, it's a great motivational factor. And additionally, outside of that, we talked about A and B races and those things motivating you to run quicker. There is that bit about the virtual race of coming back and going, well, I've just run this. Someone else has run it on Strava. Have I run it quicker than them? And then the person will see you run it five seconds faster than their time. And they'll go out the next day and run that five seconds quicker. And so you'll be virtually racing against someone who you've never met. Yeah. And don't know who they are, but it'll have that motivational factor in for you. So there's one one bit. So so they are a little bit expensive. um, But if you're going into running because you think you're going to enjoy it for the long haul, I think pound for pound, they're a brilliant training aid. And... And that record of you training is something nice to see. Yeah. And GPS watches these days are, you know, a basic level. You just need something that's going to track you with GPS stuff. You don't need all the heart rate monitors and no, all the other I never use stuff. One. Um, you know, mine's a reasonably good one, but it's not top of the line. But they don't, they don't, you don't have to start by getting a really expensive one. And, and Strava, for example, I think it's free just for a basic sign up and you yep. can upload them. So there's one virtual racetrack bit called, um, it's from the duck pond to a railway bridge. And I think it's called duck pond to railway bridge near me. And that's one I kind of target when I'm doing my local run around the, the, the villages. And, uh, and I know when it starts and when it stops that racetrack. And, uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm 11th now out of all the people that have done it. So I'm like, I'm trying to get into the top 10 kind of thing. And it's just, you know, it's really interesting to see people going out and trying that section as well, quickly as they can. And so that's can. increasing your speed work. Yeah, when absolutely. You're doing it. Now, it effectively puts a little fart look into the, exactly. into the run. Well, they possibly you've slacken off a little bit before you do it. So yeah, possibly, well, that's, not, possibly that's not so good for your run, but there you go. So I think we've just about gone through stuff that's useful for training. Yeah. Should we recap it? Then? I think we should recap it. So first of all, think about the race that you're going to do. And find a training plan that suits that sort of race and that race distance and that race terrain, possibly. That will fit around your life as best you can. Don't pick one that you know, as soon as you see it, you won't be able to achieve. You'll immediately demotivate yourself. And think also around your training plan, you might about your B races and maybe C races that you're going to fit in around that as well and figure out how they can fit into that plan and change that plan to fit around them as well. It's it's a flexible, it's not a it's yeah. not a rule. But especially if your long race is a long way away, if you're training for six, eight, nine months for one race, do you know what? You might get bored. Having a few other races, a few other goals in there is yeah. probably really going to help you. So training plans will tend to mostly focus on running. On running flat. Road and races. running on flat road races as well. There may be some trail running plans, but again, they'll all focus on running. Don't forget, mix it up a bit. Do some cross training. Do some hills. Go to the gym. Do some fast runs. Exactly. And don't 
feel you have to sacrifice any other fitness style stuff that you're doing, yoga, swimming, rugby, whatever, to fit in your training plan. Just make it and adapt your training plan yep. so you can do that. You'll enjoy it much more if it doesn't feel like a sacrifice. It's got to fit into your life. Yes. And why are we doing all of that? Well, you're doing it to increase your fitness, obviously, and that's to do with the way you take up your oxygen and also the way that your muscles cope with the buildup of lactic acid. And the only way they're going to get used to that is by you doing the training. Yeah. So you've got to get the training in. That's really important. And we haven't talked about it much, but also long slow runs have benefit. In a lot of training plans will say go out for a long slow run and there's reasons why your body needs to do slow runs. It's all to do with capillaries and growing them and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. there is good reasons why you have to do these different types of runs. Going out and just smashing that six mile every <laughs> every day isn't going to give you that all round fitness you need. Correct. The one thing we would say on training plans is if doing the best in your race in your a race is your goal make sure you've done the full distance before you do the a race if 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 making the best out of that race is your goal if going into that race you want to do the distance as part of that race clearly get as close to it as you can and clearly on ultras that becomes more difficult to do say up to a marathon you can do it beyond that yeah. it becomes harder train on the terrain yes. if you can that you're going to train and that's not just hills up and down as we're talking about the terrain underfoot Yes, it would be about uh, having the right kit and experimenting. You won't necessarily get it right first time, but you know what? To start with, go to a good, a good dedicated running shop and actually get some good advice and start out on the right path. And then you'll be able to tailor that, know what worked, what didn't, but at least you'll be closer to the right shoe or shoe type for you. Get the right trainers, get it right first time from a running shop. Subsequent to that, if you want to buy the same shoes on the internet, I think that's fine. Think about the nutrition you're going to need in the race. And once again, when you're doing the long runs and getting close to your race distance, think about your nutrition plan for the race and train as you're going to race. Yeah. And what works for one person doesn't work for another. So just experiment for you what works for you. Yeah. I'd say also injuries and illness, it's going to happen. Just accept it's going to happen and almost build that into your plan and and accept it mentally that it's going to happen. And be willing to accept the fact that you're going to have to back off and that actually you can still some do some good training in inverted commas while you're maybe not feeling 100%. You can do some stretching, do some yoga, you can think through, you can do some meditation, do some research, you can do all kinds of things which are actually adding benefit and will actually do you a lot of good in a race which aren't actually going out and smashing, <laughs> smashing running necessarily. Absolutely. And don't forget, the toughest thing is getting that motivation to get your kit on, tie your shoelaces up and get out the door. Once you are out there, we promise you, know, you will think it's worth it. You will have a great time and you will feel brilliant for running. So when you wake up and it looks rubbish and you don't want to follow the training plan, but you can get your shoelaces tied up and get out the door. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it from us. Really hope you have feel motivated and it's helped you. Uh, let us know what you think. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Runners on Trail. We're on Snapchat, Runners on Trail. We are indeed. And you can email <laughs> getting us. Better. Yeah, you are getting better. And you can email us, runnersontrail at gmail.com. Best of luck for your race. Best of luck for 2018. Uh, have a great year. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast and you can follow our journey over the year. We've got loads of great races lined up already. Should we go through what we're... Yeah, if you should, want. We, should we say what we say? So we've we've been, for example, we've been working out what our next year is going to look like, haven't we? Yes, and we've had a couple of ideas, and we've been we've put it together over the last couple of weeks, and really um, entered in 
um, different races. So should we say what we're, what we're actually looking at doing? That might be of interest. Yep, we can. So, um, if we go for an order in February, two bays, tough 10. Uh, near Western Supermare. We're going to do that in February. That's definitely a sea race, I think, in terms of if it's a hard but it's race. But it's good because it's early in the season. It's short distance. It's going to push us, um, our, our lungs, capacity, our fitness. Up and the terrain is the brilliant yeah. for trail running. Yeah. Uh, and then a B race for us in March. We're going to do the Green Man Ultra, which is running around 46 miles around the outside of Bristol. Yeah. So we know it well and it's, it's close at home. So logistically, it's very easy for us to do. Yep. And then I think for both of us, for for reasons we've explained before, the number one A race for us this year is the Thames Path 100, which we're doing in May because we're doing it as a qualifier to try and get into Western States, and therefore it's it's our main goal for this year. Yeah, that that's that's. I, I think I've got two A races if I'm honest. Well, but I was going to say I think, I think we both have really. Well, <laughs> yes, I guess but that, but, that is definitely an A race, and I would pick that over my other races for this year because of what we're trying to do now in June. Fane has, yeah. Okay, so I've I've this entered, is ridiculous. I've entered Spine Fusion, um, which is the summer version of the Spine. Two hundred and sixty-eight miles. It's the Pennine Way in entirety. So start, go, just get to the finish. You've got seven days to do it in. I'd love to do it in just under five. There is the Spine, which is the, the most brutal race in Britain, which is done in January. Which I just I just not fan of the cold. Maybe <laughs> one year, but I can't. But even so, even in the summer, it's still going to be a tough challenge. Now I will pick another race probably late june early july a hilly as hilly as i can make it marathon because uh in august i am flying to vancouver and i'm going to do the squamish 50 50 one of my bucket list races uh from as you'll have heard from the last episode so it's a 50 mile three and a half thousand meter climb run on the saturday followed by a 50 kilometer two and a half thousand meter climb race on the sunday and you're doing the 50 mile with my brother who's entered it as well. I am. Which really is cool. Good, really good and it's a real Chris. shame I, can't, I just can't get out there logistically. Now, you're thinking potentially you might do the Cotswold Way Century again. Yeah, yeah, in September. Um, so I'm thinking of giving that another go. I enjoyed it. I uh, wouldn't mind giving it another go at the moment. I've not committed to, to it at the moment, but that's what my thinking is. So basically, I think we've both planned, pretty well planned up to the middle of the year and we're looking at the other races. Yep. And then um, the last one I've got planned... I know this is runners on trail, but I've entered the Snowdonia Marathon, which is a mostly road race on Snowdonia, but it has got some stonking hills in it, as you yeah, can imagine. It's a good, it's a good marathon. And as it's well, got, again, an amazing reputation. I'm re- I've tried to get into it for a couple of years and just missed applying for it. It's sold out in less than two hours this year. Mm. Uh, it's a very popular race and I'm really, really looking forward to doing that. Yeah. So those are the races we've got planned at the moment. I think there might be a couple of other ones thrown in. There'll certainly be some more short races. I'm yeah. sure sort of 10Ks, 10 milers that we'll use to keep us motivated as we go along. So get out there, get training, have a great year, uh, subscribe to the podcast and we will be back. So in January, I'd like, to, we might do training again potentially, but I think I'd like to talk about Transalkania and training for Transalkania specifically as a race. Yeah. We're also going to go, I think to Bath University and do a fitness assessment. Yes. And we're hoping to get a crew together to go and do that with us. So if you'd like to come and do it with us, Please make sure you email us, runnersontrail at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, and come and do it with the crew. Hopefully we'll get a bulk discount, which would be good as well. <laughs> and hey, if you'd like to be on the podcast, uh, drop us an email. Tell us what you'd like to talk about. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, possibly come out and run with you, or even just talk about runs that you've done. Yeah. And we've worked out how to do it on Skype now, so we don't need to <laughs> give me anywhere. Just let us know. Especially if you've done any of the runs we're going to do over this year. We really would love to hear from you because we've talked about being prepared for a race. 
takes away the anxiety and that'll be good for us too absolutely okay so join us next time on Runs on Trail Runners on Trail.